They're all business, except when they're not. It's The Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Focus Group. Tim Bennett here, as always, with my good friend and co-host, Mr. John T. Nash. I have finally got the chance to travel and head to New York City for the first time in 18 months. I got to join John in person, and we thank our friends at SPI Marketing, which uh, hosted us at Comic-Con New York. So the focus group traveled to Comic-Con New York. Thanks to our friends at SPI Marketing and their Queer and Ally Lounge, we got to interview some uh, great characters there, I guess is the way I'll, I'll phrase it. And uh, <laughs> I think, yeah, characters. When, when John had said we were going to go there, I, was, I figured it was a place John had always been, but... Um, John, you've not been to Comic-Con before. No, no, no. I uh, Actually, I got to moderate a panel in the Queer and Ally Lounge, which our friend Scott hosted at uh, Comic-Con this year. And I, I used the phrase that I was a Comic-Con virgin, and everybody laughed. Uh, but now I've been you know, baptized in the world of Comic-Con. And just to put this in perspective, 2020, due to the, the event, Comic-Con was uh, virtual, which is very different. And normally the show hosts about 600,000 attendees over the four-day period here when it's hosted in New York City. This year it was 300,000, so it was a reduced show floor and a reduced uh, roster of guests and attendees. But I think it would be hard, you'd be hard-pressed to figure that out because it was, from my opinion, it was packed. I was there for three straight days. I saw people dressed as all kind of cost, all kind of people, and it, my favorites, of course, were some of the people that were dressed as characters from Star Wars. So, if anybody knows the movie Rogue One, there was a uh, character called Director Krennic, and he wore like a white Imperial uniform and a white cape. There were a couple of those people drifting around Comic Con, and whenever I would walk by, I would go, "Command <laughs> Director Krennic," and they would they would actually thank me for like you know figuring out who they were. Bob got some. I took Bob on. Uh, Friday and Saturday, and he got some hilarious pictures of people in costume. And then there, he has a picture. I should really put it up on our YouTube or Facebook thing of these two guys that were dressed as, I think they were dressed as game characters, oh, but their costume was their body. These guys were ripped and they, oh, really? <laughs> they were shirtless and ripped and all they had. I think you saw the, I sent you the picture, right, Tim? Uh, you may have. I, well, the one that I saw was somebody that probably should not have had uh spandex on yeah, yeah. that was a yeah but, that was but, a lot of that <laughs> but uh yeah you'll have to post that because people will want to see that certainly on our on our site but scott um it, it was it was weird being in new york not having been there in in 18 months and traveling uh on amtrak so amtrak has a mask mandate which was fine and i got to go to the new train station and uh it was good. and the tiktok and diner the TikTok you got diner. to see bob it was kind of a replay of of our last, I last saw Tim physically on March 10th of 2020, uh, around there, and that ninth, eighth or tenth, and it was uh, our last in-studio broadcast. And it was the this the, we have this pattern, you know, Tim arrives in Grand Central, we go to the TikTok Diner, we go to the studio, then back to Grand. I'm sorry, back to Penn Station. So it was kind of cool to do that, um, and and it felt like no time had passed at all, but the world had indeed changed <laughs> in between there. Right. Right. So, um, so it was, it was great to be great to be back there. And it's great to see people around again. I mean, the, the great thing about Comic-Con was that, uh, there were so many people and I think people were just happy to be out and about. And it was just a good crowd of good crowd of folks to get out in the fall and, uh, and experience New York city because, uh, you know, our cities are so vibrant and, and essential for our, for our country. And, uh, so it was good to see people out and about. And th again, thanks to Scott at SPI marketing for hosting us. Who did we talk to Mr. Nash? I know you, you had, 
I came up the first day, and uh, we had a couple of interviews, then some surprise guests from RuPaul's Drag Race. And then the second day, you had a uh, you had an interview. So, so you want to tell the folks who we talked to? I will, and I'll also tell uh, listeners that Tim was uh, Tim was Tim's always when we do remotes. When, that means we're not in studio and we're interviewing a, a range of guests. Tim is like Tim takes the not a contrarian, but kind of a uh, you know a devil's advocate point of view. Is like what's what's the story? What are they? What are we going to talk about? But I'm I'm pleased to announce that. Uh, after all our interviews, uh, Tim said, you know, I think I, I really liked all the people we talked to. And I think they were fun interviews. So, <laughs> so stay with us. So, uh, Scott, um, from SPA marketing arranged for us to talk to two comic book artists and writers, Isaac Goodhart and Dan Parent. Isaac got to start a top cow comics, uh, where he illustrated 26 issues of the, uh, postal book. He's drawn a lot of stuff. He's worked in the industry for a while. He's an ally, uh, LGBTQ ally, and he was great, great to speak to him. And he also did a limited edition of something called, uh, st- someone called Storm, X-Men Storm. And he took Dominique Jackson, an actress, and he portrayed her as Storm. She actually appeared at the lounge later on. And I didn't realize at the time that Dominique Jackson was, in fact, Electra from the uh, House Electra, the TV series Pose. Other artists interpret her, interpreted her as well in their world, and that would be Dan Parent, who is known for creating the gay character Kevin for Archie's. He also interpreted her as a poster, and they were there to uh, help raise money for Glisten. So uh, she came to visit on Saturday when Tim wasn't there, um, and she came and signed posters and gave a little speech, and all the money they raised from selling these limited edition uh, comic posters went to Glisten. And then, as Tim said, we had uh, some surprise guests from RuPaul's Drag Race, and they were Jackie Cox, Tammy Brown, and Yuwa Hamasake. And uh, they were lots of fun. You know, I, you will hear the smiles in my questions. Like, you know, once I'm around a drag queen, uh, especially because they're like comedians, right, Tim? They're like stand-up. I can't stop smiling. You know, the back of my head hurts after a while. So that's what we've got. Uh, we've got the lineup there. So I think we're going to kick it off with Isaac Goodhart. Uh, and as I said, he is a artist at uh, and on artifacts and postal DC comics, an ally of the community, and uh, he's a really really cool guy. So enjoy the conversation with him. The focus group is at Comic Con New York City, coming to you from SPI Marketing's Queer Ally Lounge. And sitting right next to me is our first guest, Isaac Goodhart, who's an artist and told had to say that yes case right <laughs> welcome to the show and uh, tim and i love to talk about business career marketing and how things how people get into things before i go further with some instructive questions um do you have a do you have a direct interview or an accident oh uh, very direct this was i was very narrow-minded with my career it's the only thing i ever wanted to do was draw comic books so I uh, I wanted to draw comics since I was a teenager, and I started looking at colleges like as a kid. How do how do you do this? So there are like two schools in America where you can major in comic books. So I pinpointed the the you know that path, and um, you know it, there's definitely unplanned bumps in the road. This is not an easy job to fall into. I think very few of us accidentally fall into comics because it's so highly competitive, because it's so chaotic, and because honestly, you don't make a lot of money doing it. So you have to really love it. You got to really want to be in this world, um, and it's 100% worth it. I need to make that clear. I'm living my dream job. So, so as a uh, 
Thank you, Isaac. This is this is Tim. The um, so the comics that you liked as a kid. Yeah. Do you still like do you still like the same ones or did you, did you evolve over time? Do you like the same comics? Yeah. Every that's a that's actually a great question because my goals were very set ever since I was a kid, and a lot of the goals are like. I'm still looking back and I'm like, I got to follow through with that promise that I made to myself when I was a child. But now as I get older and things change and you sort of see behind the curtain, I think a lot, this is a very common experience for all of us, no matter what field you're in. But now as I get older, the, the, the dreams that I had of, oh, I need this action figure line. You know, I need to create this character in the Spider-Man universe. That sort of falls away, especially also when you start to actually achieve a lot of this stuff. You go, okay, I did that. I feel the same. So let me reassess what actually makes me happy. Let me reassess and take stock of where I actually am. And so now as I get older, I'm, I'm in my mid-30s now. I'm just like, you know what I want to do really is I want to work with my friends. I want to work with people that inspire me, that I enjoy being around. So that's where I am right now. And I've been very lucky to uh, work with Vida Ayala, we did a Wonder Woman short together. Um, I've worked with Brian Hill on, on many things. So that's all I want to do. I just want to keep working with people that I like. All right, so sort of picking up on the theme of working with people who you like, who have you found or who has been influential and mental personality when you based to your So you actually pinpoint one, two, or three people that were just profoundly impactful yeah no absolutely y'all have been doing this for a while y'all are asking very good questions you're listening i'm very impressed that's uh to answer your your question john it's uh klaus jansen deserves the biggest thank you from me without a doubt he was one of my teachers at um uh sva and that was that was uh 2010 i graduated so i've known him for a very long time you guys are going to have to do the math because I cannot. Um, but uh, but he's great. He's going to be here at the show with Essential Sequentials. He just did, had a short in the uh, DC's recent uh, Pride anthology where he uh, did a Green Lantern uh, talk about his identity to his son. Um, and it's a beautiful story. Uh, he's He's been in the industry. He's a legend. He's been in the industry since, I think, the late 70s, maybe early 80s. And um, he's constantly getting better. You know, and he's a big inspiration for me, not just in terms of talent, but who I want to be as an artist and as a person. You know, he's endlessly uh, curious. Um, he, did he did he find you or did you find him? Because oh, I, I scoped him out. Did you, he he was teaching at SBA and I needed to be in his class because he had a reputation that preceded him. But also he worked on Dark Knight Returns. So if you talk to any comic book nerd, if you talk to anybody who grew up reading comics, they talk about, like, they always talk about Dark Knight Returns, they always talk about Watchmen, and they always talk about Batman Year One. And that's sort of like the trifecta for, like, those are the three books that sort of change the public's perception of what this medium is. And so those books all came out in the late 80s, and those were the books that, that changed everyone's perception. And society went, oh, comic books can be high art. They could be they can transcend sort of what people used to think of them as, which were kid stories, you know, like picture books. So um, Klaus Jansen was the inker with Frank Miller, who would later go on to do Sin City. Uh, um, you know, what else is Frank Miller famous for? Ronin, a lot of the, the bigger books in our history. Um, and they, were, they collaborated on Daredevil together and then Dark Knight Returns, which is a seminal work. 
So I wanted to talk to him and um, he's always been very supportive. He's always been very kind and generous with his time. So um, he's someone that I keep in touch with and talk to all the time. What about personally? In other words, as a, as a kid or, or as you got older and you're in school and you say you want to do, be an artist and, and illustrator as a career and work in, in this industry. Was your family saying, eh, you know, that might be a fun hobby, but so did- Oh my God, hilarious. So that, personally, were you, were you encouraged? Yeah, so I come from um, a Jewish Korean household. So um, I think <laughs> wow. you're gonna hear a you know, lot good, of- Good food though. But great food, are you kidding me? Oh my God, you should come over for Korean barbecue. You're doing that, Scott. All right, we're gonna have a party at my place. But um, but uh, so so my mother was traditional in that Asian way. And my mother took a lot of pride in calling herself a tiger mom. So she would say, listen, you are not going into art. And if you do, you better go to medical school first. And you know, if she were here right now, she would not be offended. She would be like, yeah, I did say that. And I stand by it. You know? She wants you to be like a doctor and a doctor. Yeah, she wanted arts to be the backup plan, which is not really how it works if you talk to most artists. Very few of us are splitting our times between heart surgery and Superman, you know? So, um, uh, but you know, it's also not, it's not uncommon. Like, I'm pretty sure Koi Fong has like a brilliant, I think he was going to school for to be an attorney. I think Jim Lee uh, went to medical school. Like, it's, it's, it's actually common. And we all have the same story of our parents going, no, absolutely not. You better, you, you could come around to this later, but you better like, we need to make sure you're gonna be okay first. My father, uh, Jewish, my father though, always like ever since i was a teenager teenager was like oh you're professional level and i knew that he was wrong but it's still really hell to have some him in my corner saying yeah you're like the best artist i've ever known in my life you know um i have a quite strangely technical question for you um did you begin learning with traditional tools and, and is there a difference perhaps between actual physical media Right. Well, first of all, uh, John, you deserve a major shout out for pulling well, out from Pitagraph. Can you believe it? Like, can you believe it? Yeah, I know. Well, 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 we, Wikipedia article did you uh, look up to get that uh, juicy detail? <laughs> oh, were you? Yeah. Okay, very cool. Pitagraphs. I said the queen. All right. So you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, the answer is yes. So I started with uh, with the same tools, and um, we were all learning dig uh, traditional. You, and that's that's anything. You got to learn the fundamentals. If you're a dancer, you got to start learning ballet before you go modern. So uh, for me, it was um, in in school in college. I was all traditional, and there were a couple of people coloring digitally. There were a couple of people drawing digitally, but for the most part, we were all using the same tools and learning the fundamentals, learning the basics. I even took sculpture class. I took painting classes, um, and then uh, I and I've always been resistant to change. Then that's just been me personally. But um, I could not get a comic book job after graduating college. I worked at a candy store. Um, I was selling candy. I actually was uh, freelancing. I like I did a shirt for a rapper named Wiz Khalifa. He was huge at the time. I remember some kid came in wearing a Wiz Khalifa shirt. And at first I was really excited. I was like, oh, I just wore the shirt that I drew. And he's just looking at me all holding a box of peeps. And he's like, you're a loser. He didn't say that, but I saw it in his eyes. Um, and I, the entire time I was doing that, I was trying to get a job in art and trying to make that my full-time career. 
So I actually did get, not in comics, but I did get a storyboarding job that flew me out to, out to California. And that's where I learned digital drawing because you had to. And it was, it was trial by fire. So I, I jumped into the deep end and I had to learn all this stuff very quickly. And so, um, and that's, so I work from around 10 to six doing storyboards for Purina, public supermarkets, um, Coca-Cola, Coors Light. And then from 8 p.m. to 4 a.m., I was working on comic books. So I was drawing digitally. I was teaching myself the tools, uh, learning how to do Cintiq stuff. And that's what I do now. So I'm all digital. I'm only drawing on the Cintiq tab. So how long, so this is kind of a double, a double-sided question, I guess. So how long have you been in the industry? And then how have you seen it evolve from a, since we're here in the, in the Queer and Ally Lab? Yeah, and we've had lots of, particularly in the last three years, lots of um, diversity and inclusion has really come out to the forefront uh, in a lot of areas, Absolutely. Uh, culturally and socially. How have you seen your industry change, or has it? Yeah, and what do you think? And what do you think of it? It's changed profoundly since I started. So I started in uh, 2014. That's when my professional career, I guess you could say, broke in. It's funny, you know, like. I think very few comic book creators feel like they've really broken in. You know, it's sort of like a contract that we got to keep re-upping and keep proving that we're, oh, we're still doing it. We're still in it, by the way. You know, and it's a, it's more of a slow buildup than really of a breaking in. But uh, I started with Postal, uh, which was a book from Top Cow Comics, which uh, you mentioned up top. And then um, I got linked up with DC Comics when that book was coming to a close. So um, they... DC Comics flew me out, and I met with all the editors, and I've been there since. So I've done a couple of books with them. So that's sort of been my career. And then um, as far as how has the industry changed, it has become a lot more inclusive. A lot of stuff that was subtext, a lot of stuff that was um, uh, queer subtext in books like X-Men, where like they never state North Star's identity. But if you're reading the book, you know. Now, in, in now he got married to to his partner you know and that was a the, i think that was the uh the first gay wedding at marvel um so so there's a lot more of that Iceman came out of the closet in the x-men books so uh the x-men books especially have moved into uh uh to embrace a lot more so all this stuff that were you know, was a wink and a nod now is very big and up front and uh front and center in the x-men books and in a lot of the other books too, Batman, uh, Batwoman is is queer, and she has her own TV show. Um, and you go go anywhere, in every direction. It's much bigger and uh, uh, much more inclusive with all identities, uh, race, uh, queer identities. And then just for me, personally, on a personal note, the number one biggest influence on me is drag and uh, drag culture. So alternative drag, Dragula, RuPaul's Drag Race. So I incorporate as much of that into my work as possible, which you can see in everything that I've done. I love big hair, you know? So if you look, I have a working theory that all superheroes are drag queens. So if you look at, look at any Batman comic, look at any Superman comic, they all talk, you know? So they every time I approach the book, the work, Big hair, big curly, like insane, uh, insane perms and everything. So that's me. And, and uh, I feel very good about, you know, talking about those influences and bringing it into my work and saying very proudly, this is what I love. And everybody 
that uh, um, everyone has been very supportive and very cool about that. So it's been awesome. Uh, so as we wrap up, um, a question that I always find fascinating, depending on where you're at, your is, is there anything that you're looking forward to? I've got goals. I got goals, John. You know, we're we're working on it. It's in the mail. Stay tuned and find out. But yes, no, truly, um, there are a lot of people in the industry that I admire, that I've admired since I was young, that I would very much like to collaborate with. And uh, you know, we're working on. It. I've got a bunch of uh, very big things that are percolating right now. So if you stay tuned, we've got some announcements coming out uh, early next year that I'm really, really looking forward to. Could you tell us something about yourself that uh, nobody knows that they'd be surprised about? <laughs> um, well, uh, I'm not allowed in Urban Outfitters because I was caught shoplifting. <laughs> so let's end there. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I'm a real badass. I don't know. I don't know if you got that gleam that just from talk, but yeah, you know, I'm a bad boy. I don't know if we could top it. You know, we've asked that question a million times. I don't know how. You know, I. I'm not welcome in Urban Outfitters. No. Really. Yeah, no. Now, you look like you could work there. <laughs> I do look like everyone who works there. <laughs> wow. So I, I'm, 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 I'm kind of... Speechless. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind yeah, of it was a very embarrassing life for me. <laughs> I don't know where to go with this now. Well, you... <laughs> yeah, so, hey, well, you know, thanks for joining us. Thank I, you very was, much for having me. This was, was a lot of fun. Where, Real if, pleasure. If people wanted to follow you, do you have any social media places they sure. can locate you? You want to let uh, everyone know how to find I have Twitter. I have Instagram. I'm most active on Instagram. So if you uh, want to keep up with me with my projects as they develop, I'm just at, at Isaac Goodhart. Um, but you can just search my name and find me wherever I'm posted. All right, thank you, Isaac Goodhart, artist. Fantastic interview. And uh, denied. <laughs> no, was it? Urban Outfit. That's it. I love the world. That's hilarious. Wow. Yeah, well, it makes me feel like I need to still tell a child the story, too. But anyhow, we're going to be right back after a quick break, so stay with us. The Focus Group is at Comic-Con New York City, coming to you from SPI Marketing's Queer and Ally Lounge. Sitting next to me for our next interview is the one and only Jackie Cox. Focus Group is at Comic-Con New York City, coming to you from the SPI Marketing's Queer and Ally Lounge. And sitting right next to me, folks, is the fabulous Jackie Cox. And she is tired and magnificently. I've been told that today we're going to see a new deep cut to Star Trek Coy, no hints, no, no drop ending, so true surprise, correct? So yeah, so today obviously this is the big day in the Marvel Universe. We just announced that there's going to be a, a Agatha spin-off of WandaVision, so I of course came dressed up as the amazing witch Agatha Harkness uh, for, 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 all, for all of us nerds. But yeah, I'm going to be wearing a deep cut Star Trek look. Uh, I, by the time this podcast comes out, you may have already seen it. Yes. You'll have already seen it's it. coming out right at before Halloween. You'll, you'll have already seen it, but all I'll tell you is it's... She only appeared once on the original series, but she, this character was intended to be in a spin-off of Star Trek. Yeah, this could be a whole show with you two. <laughs> no, I, I, am, I am known as the, non, the non-sci-fi person, so he's, look at how excited he is, John. <laughs> Now you're going to be thinking. I know. You're, yeah, you'll think the whole, it'll, it'll, it'll go on and on. Yeah. Hey, I have a quick question for you. Being of Nova Scotia stock myself. Oh, yeah. Where, but Parsboro, which has the highest tides in the world. 
Yeah. 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 It's a stop on the way. Yeah, so I was born in Nova Scotia. Um, I left, unfortunately, when I was a toddler and have not been back. I was going to say, how old were you when you left? Your family yeah, like left? two when I left Nova Scotia. So I don't know it. I've been back as an adult, but I'm dying to go. It's a place of my birth. It's where my parents met. Uh, and, you know, it, in theory, fell in love and had me. I don't know, they divorced shortly after. But, uh, yeah, so I haven't been back. I've been to lots of other parts of Canada. My dad's family is mostly in um, British Columbia, but my grandparents lived in Toronto for a long time when I was younger. Before. Okay. Like all Canadian grandparents, they moved to Victoria. Which is <laughs> well, like British, every, yeah. every, every Canadian person I meet, like, oh yeah, my grandparents live in Victoria. Yeah, British Columbia is gorgeous, but you would love if if you haven't been to Halifax, you should go. You should go back to Nova That's Scotia. That's where I was born. I haven't yeah. been since I, you know, I I was uh, I was able to talk. <laughs> Before we get into some of your um, some of your your uh, your stint on on RuPaul's Drag Race, I I have a question for you, just as as drag queens in general. Sure. Where did your name come from, Jackie Cox? Jackie Cox is actually it's a name my friend made up in college. It's a, kind of this character that we invented. You know, we were around a lot of uh, young, aspiring actresses uh, at, at UCLA, which is where I went to school. And so Jackie Cox is kind of this, almost this like Rachel Berry character that we had created in our minds. She was like the, the biggest musical theater diva of them all. And then we would just pretend we were Jackie Cox. And then it was kind of like a voice we would do as well. She kind of talked like this. I don't know, she was like this character. And this was like before I even did drag. And then, like, years later, when I was like, oh, I want to do drag, I, was, I asked my friend, I was like, can I just become Jackie Cox? And he was like, yes. So here I am. That's the origin of the name. So I'm going to pick up on something you just said about when I decided to be. Yeah. I don't know oh, that you wake up in the morning. <laughs> and you sit up in bed, you're like, boy, I'd love to throw that on as a captain. I mean, how did you decide, and were you encouraged? Yeah, so I, you know, I, I went to school for theater, and shortly after I graduated, I was cast in a production of Head Beginning Angry Inch. That was kind of my first introduction of the power of drag as, like, performance. And I moved to New York after that. And when I was in New York, I, you know, I moved to New York maybe to do theater, but I realized I didn't really love the theater scene. So a friend of mine was producing this drag pageant uh, at New World Stages, which is an off-Broadway theater. And he was like, come do it. And I was like, I've never done drag before. He's like, no, 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 you'll be great. I, you did Hadwig, you can totally do this. So I was like, okay. So I just kind of did it on a whim. Uh, it was my first night performing as Jackie Cox. And there were five girls in the competition that night. And I won. So, but, you know, just hey. something you said that I'm fascinated by. the power of Yeah. Are we referring to the power of being on stage in character? Or is it, in fact this transformation in the costume and what you decide to wear that makes you almost you so un able to not be, to be someone else that's based on who you are. But I don't know if that makes sense, but. Well, you know, well, we are at Comic-Con and I would say, you know, ask any superhero what their costume gives them. You know, it gives you a little bit of power, it gives you a little bit of strength. It gives you kind of a sense of being larger than life when you walk onto a stage or walk into a room. And so drag is such an amazing art form and I think now people are harnessing it and I think we're recognizing that drag is for everything. You know? and, I, I, and I say this with all due respect and love for Katherine Hahn, her Agatha Harkness, to my mind, is a drag queen. I mean, look at this ridiculous outfit. She's coming in with giant purple capes and huge hair and I'm like, this is a drag queen. You know? And I think 
we as you know queer people we, we are able to step into our power sometimes when we have things like drag or you know just that extra step of confidence and a high heel uh, so it's it's something I embrace and I I Jackie has given me and my non my non drag life even more confidence as well. Well, I'm glad to see that you're showing some leg because I read an interview in Entertainment Weekly where you said that you felt you had good legs. You like well, your legs. Thank you. And you wore shorts a lot, and everybody liked that. I did. Short I, shorts. I shorts did wear a lot of short shorts. Yeah, I did do that. Uh, well, you know what? I've always had like a, my legs been the most muscular part of my body. So is that on purpose? Or? I think it might just be from running around in heels. <laughs> or I have another theory. My legs are a little crooked. I'm knock kneed and bow legged at the same time. So I think my legs have just had to work harder my whole life because they're all kind of crooked. So does um so does Jackie Cox allow you to do something that maybe you weren't allowed to do as a kid? Oh, totally. Definitely embracing my, my feminine side. You know, I think as I, I'm someone who identifies as gender expansive, which um, to me is I'm a gay man, but I'm pushing the boundaries of what being a man is to include the parts of the feminine that maybe people haven't included in the past. You know, I think there's a lot of conversations today around gender and gender expression and gender identity. And I think what's amazing about drag is it's this beautiful hyper feminine expression of myself, but then I can still incorporate bits of femininity into my day to day life. You know, wear a, wear a beautiful necklace, wear a pearl earring, wear little things when I'm not, not even in drag. And I think, you know, having the access to the femininity with drag has allowed me to be more of myself all the time. As you were saying that, in my mind, I'm like, here's to the ladies who lunch. Yeah, why not? All right, I'm going to answer you a totally corporate interview question. Okay, People good. Asked all the time. Yeah. Tell Where us. Where do I see myself in five years? Did you read ahead? I did. <laughs> That's exactly what we wanted. It's the kind of thing that frustrates people because I don't know how what I'm doing five days from now, let yeah. five years. But you know, are you? What are what? What have you tackled or what are you going to tackle that you haven't done? You know what? I've, I've started to dabble in, you know, more uh, scripted television and film, which is really exciting to me. You know, just being on the set of Days of Our Lives is a really cool experience. So I'd love to manifest more of that in my future, more more um, kind of taking acting to the next step in and out of drag. Um, what's been really exciting for me is how much people have responded to me out of drag since being on RuPaul's Drag Race. So to see where that goes and what what I can do both as Jackie Cox and as my non-drug. So that's a fascinating scripted. Um, is a different creative outlet because you're not inventing the words. I'm not. So you're, if you're a Jackie Cox and you're on stage, you're reacting to people. Mm -hmm. You might pick someone out in the crowd and have a fun moment. For sure. And that pivot your performance in a different direction. Scripted is... Here's your lines, yeah, and how you invest yourself in and, and that's since you went to school. I did. But has a return to it? Is it, is it different now that you've done Jackie Cox and then returning to scripted is something that's different? Well, I certainly think, you know, it's, it's fun to use some of the things I've learned from drag, but then also it's fun to just kind of lose yourself in a different character. And I think what's exciting about the future of entertainment is we're now telling more honest stories about queer people. And I would, you know, I'm still waiting for the show that's about a drag queen that's not, you know, the sassy drag queen at the bar. You know, I get, uh, the, I, the amount of auditions I get pulled into where you're like, you're gonna play the sassy drag queen at the bar, the main characters meet, 
you know, and they're all written kind of like this Mae West kind of thing, right? It's like, hey, officer, or, or whoever walks in, you know, and you're like, you know, twirling a cigarette. And I'm like, I think there's more to, you know, like any artist, you know, there's shows about, you know, writers, painters, actors. There needs to be some shows about drag queens in our real lives. And then beyond that, just the broader expression of being a queer person of Middle Eastern descent, I think is an exciting point of view that I would love to share both in scripted and in my like non-scripted stuff too. You know, hosting is something I love to do and drag has definitely given me the access to do that. Podcasting is something I'm getting into. So there's just, you know, Drag Race is such an amazing platform because it gives you all of this kind of visibility all of a sudden. And then what's exciting to me is just being open to where the universe takes me. Well, I wanted to you, I wanted to touch on that with you, or we wanted to about um, your Persian. I am our Persian, and you made a statement on on the show when you had, had dressed in a, and I always pronounce it wrong hijab. 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 Hijab is actually the Arabic word, and in Farsi, the more common word people use is rusari, which means literally on your head, like head covering. Um, but hijab is the more commonly known word here. So, the, so yeah. the hijab, and when you come out in that, and um, it certainly made a statement um, for for a number of reasons, and I think it was very brave of you to do that. And I wondered, did you get um, did you get pushback from the Persian community, Persian Americans, or did you get a lot of people that were saying, "Yeah, right on," and were you know, did it? What was the response? I guess. Yeah, overall? there's been a lot of response. A lot of it's just been um, you know gratitude from. Middle Eastern community, the Persian community and beyond, just of having some representation that was positive. Um, and, you know, there is a big conversation among, especially among Persian women, around the idea of mandatory headscarves in Iran, which is the law um, under Islamic law. And I'm, of course, against that. I think women should have the right to choose what they wear on their bodies and what they wear on their head or choose not to. Um, and something that I've had to clarify since the show is by standing on stage in a hijab, representing what I think is the importance of religious and um, ethnic minorities here in the United States, I'm also at the same time saying oppressive governments overseas are still not okay. You know, I, I want freedom for women both here to feel comfortable wearing a hijab and without the fear of being ridiculed or ostracized or stereotyped differently yeah. or stereotyped and then i want freedom for women back in iran to also have the freedom to choose not to win. so it's a complex uh conversation but i'm happy to have it and i've definitely seen a lot of gratitude from the greater middle eastern community as well for that i actually thought you handled that incredibly gracefully and you know those conversations can go off the rails and i've chosen your words very carefully and thoughtfully and I think that it's hard to not that. We're talking to Jackie Cox, by the way. The one Hi. I'm here. And we're here at Comic-Con New York City. And we're going to um, wrap up with a quick... Well, Tim, there's two questions. Okay. This one is, what advice would you give your younger self... Oh, oh okay. Uh-huh. ...and an aspiring artist? Like, if you were giving your younger self or an aspiring artist, advice would you What I would say to any young person, and probably myself, I need to hear this when I was younger too, is you can only be yourself. And so I think your goal as an artist is to find yourself and be the best version of that. And I see, you know, certainly when I was younger and I moved to New York and I was trying to do theater and you're always trying to like be this type of person that you think people will want to cast. And what I found is the more I'm myself, the more people kind of see me who I am in other things. And that's what I would say to any young person is, 
you can only really be the best version of you. And so trying to be, you know, comparing yourself to other people is honestly a waste of time. And that's the biggest thing that I think young people and young artists do is they waste their time comparing themselves. Oh, am I like this person or this drag queen or this, you know, actor on TV or whatever it is. And that's just like, why do that? It's just honestly, you'll just spend your whole life waiting to be something. And then the final question. Uh -uh. Can you tell us something about yourself okay. that nobody knows? It's Ooh. not in your bio, uh -oh. but we'd be surprised about. You, you know, I used to say that I, I, my, my secret was always that I'm a Star Trek fan, but I feel like that's oh, well, now. Oh, John, John yeah. I, do you have a boyfriend? I do. I have, oh, I, I have John, a partner I, of 10 years. Right, and if he wasn't married, I think we have a match made in heaven. Yeah, so I, uh, <laughs> I have a partner of 10 years uh, who's amazing and I love so much. And uh, but I, I used to say it was like, that I was a Star Trek fan. That was like my secret. But now I think everyone knows I'm a Star Trek fan because <laughs> I post about it a lot. So I guess what's another secret? Um, I, I I I'm a big uh, Disney pin collector. Wow, how's that one? That's a great that's a good one. Is that a good that's one? A good one, Jackie? Yes. That's okay. That, that that'll be my secret for today. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for joining us here on the Focus Group at here in Helen. And I have free socks. Yes. Free focus room socks. They're quite valuable. Um, yes. I love them. So it's Jackie Cox. Jackie, um, any URLs, Instagram, anything you want to listen to me? Everything is Jackie Cox NYC on uh, Instagram, Twitter. Jackie Cox NYC. You know the city I'm at. You know where I live, uh, including Venmo. Jackie Cox NYC. Send that. Send those cards and letters using Venmo. All right, we are Jackie. Thank you again. Thank and we're going to take a really quick break and be back, so stay with us. Thank you to SPI Marketing for having the Focus Group join them in their Queer and Ally Lounge here at Comic-Con New York City. And we are now talking to former RuPaul's Drag Race contestant, fabulous drag queen Tammy Brown. And sitting right next to me is the one and only Tammy Brown. Tired. Totally, it's because I just realized that this is an ET dress. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself and why you're Hi. Why I'm at Comic Con? Because um, Spin Cycle brought me, and it's nice to be here with you all. And um, I'm having a show um, tomorrow night, actually, Friday night, at, on the 8th. Which I, When will they be listening to this? This will be at the Oh, well, it is a long time ago. <laughs> Spooky dooky doo, it's Halloween now. Um, exactly, yeah. But I'm here for, you know, for Spin Cycle, and I'm doing my show here in New York, and then some photo shoots and stuff like that. And um, it's just always lovely to come to New York and be part of it. Well, Originally, I'm from Texas and Mexico. My Lord. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. I, I have to say, I'm a huge fan. I don't want you to take this the wrong way. I haven't seen you in a while, but I'm a huge fan of Lucille Ball. Has anybody told you that you look a little bit like Lucille Ball? You know, I've always gotten Lucille Ball a lot. Marlena Dietrich, Lucille Ball, a lot of Lucille Ball, but that kind of has changed. But yeah, Lucille Ball always at the beginning of the career. Oh, you should impersonate Lucille Ball. Yeah, I don't think you should impersonate her because you're your own person. But uh, but I, I just saw that sitting here, and I think it's it's uh, it's uncanny. Did um so with what's all going on with we call it the event because whenever we say the the word of what's going on we get knocked off of uh, social media. So uh, so with what's happened in the last year and a half, how has that changed uh, for you in terms of work and and trying to get out there and and with career and everything? Have you have you tried to be 
we're all tired of Zoom. We're all tired of doing stuff virtually. So have, have you seen the, the industry starting to pick back up with more, more events and, and uh, getting out there live? Well, I think most of all, we need to focus right now is that everybody's still sensitive because I have had um, fights with friends and my friends have had fights with me. I just want everybody's still sensitive and we're not done with this. I think that we still should be wearing our masks on the streets. I think that's a smart idea. In fact, I know um, from my associate friends, uh, my romantic lovers, uh, foreign lovers or exotic lovers in Bulgaria, one of them is working as a police officer and they're having protests in Bulgaria uh, regarding the uh, the mask wearing and whatnot. And they, don't, they believe it's a bit of a conspiracy there. And there are also Trump supporters in Bulgaria, but that's one thing. It's a beautiful country. The food is great. But I, I believe that people are still sensitive and we need to focus that we are all still sensitive because it's a major issue. We still fights and everybody thinks that, oh, we're in the clear. We're not in the clear. And if you know, if you're studying the Spanish flu, it happened, you know, it was two years of that. And then just because we're in modern times, you know, doesn't, I, I can understand people not wanting to be injected because we don't know what the, the outcome's going to be of this in the long run. But I think it's very important to go out there and, you know, get the vaccine. And I think we should share the vaccine with the rest of the world instead of just keeping it to ourselves, being arrogant Americans. Here, Tammy, I'm sorry for smiling so much, but I find it highly you always drawn to performance. You might not have thought of performance as a child. You might have just been uh, entertainment is something I, I always wanted to do, and like I've said many a times before, when I watched the movie What's Love Got to Do With It with Angela Bassett and Lawrence Fishburne, the Tina Turner story, um, that was when the light came on for me. But prior to that, I had been entertaining and had entertainment, something that came to me naturally. And now, finally, I've been able to embrace that I am a comedian because I wasn't a comedian that sits there and writes jokes. I'm just naturally funny. So, like, when on RuPaul's Drag Race, uh, when they were like, um, but they were like, oh, you know, that's not funny, whatever. And I said that I can just stand there and people laugh. It's just something, it's a gift that I'm naturally funny. So now I will say, yes, I'm a comedian, you know. Um, to follow up on this, uh, do you know yourself well enough to say that you're as funny out of your persona as men Oh, of course, that's just naturally funny. I mean, the funny either way. That's funny face, isn't that a term? <laughs> so, you know, and I don't have body dysmorphia or anything. But, um, poor things that they do come to me, I'll help you. But, um, no, I don't, it's just naturally funny. Naturally, it's just who I am. And I'm lucky, very fortunate, because that's a gift, you know what I mean, to be able to entertain. And I do believe that we are, being homosexuals or gays or two-spirit, whatever you want to have it, that we're conduits and, and here to help out. We're nurturers, and I think that's part of my gift, so. We talk a lot about career on our show, um, being a business and career-focused show. What advice would you give your younger self? My younger self is just continue to be patient and not be so hard on yourself. And, uh, you know, enjoy the journey because I thoroughly enjoy the journey. And back to the question you were asking about Zooms and all that. And I was... I was successful at home working from home i make my own little dolls my rag, they're called rag beans made with my previously worn designer nylons for all you kinky cats out there and they're soft sculptures but i make those and then i do my embroidered facial facial impressions and then i sell my merchandise planet tammy is my merch and um i did planet tammy planet tammy correct 
And then, um, and I have, you know, people that are in my team that work for me, John Mark, and I have the TV show. And last year we were able to film Holiday Sparkle, which is on Amazon Prime. And there's also my show, The Browns, which is on Amazon Prime. And this November we'll be releasing, we filmed actually this June, and it's being edited right now, The Browns. So we'll have the second season of The Browns, which will be on Out TV. So, but... I, you know, I was able to manage through COVID and I have many, many different sources of income and was able to do it. But it was, it is annoying to perform on TV. I mean, on just on the computer, it was really difficult. And then also it's just, it's boring. Like, for example, I, I do Wednesdays, I would do Wednesday night lives on, on Instagram and connect with people. And uh, the politics of that has all changed too. This week, and the marketing of Instagram, which is rather annoying, but it's my cash cow Instagram. But it's just sitting there it is is difficult, and it gets boring. It does get boring. Not having the reaction with people is rather like the reaction I'm having now. One final question we ask everybody, and we we were shocked already once today. We'll see if we get shocked again. Is there something you tell us about yourself that's uh, not in the bio, not something that nobody knows about you that they'd be surprised about? Uh, something that they'd be surprised about. Well, you know, I have my secrets. <laughs> I mean, that's what I, we want to know. And I think it's very important for one to have secrets. And um, I enjoy exotic lovers. How about that? And I, to be honest with you, I really enjoy um, being on the continent of America. I love the whole continent of America. And I do know that the ice is melting, so that'll probably bring on some other problems, too, that we haven't seen yet, either. You've heard. Oh, well, yes. Well, it is melting, and that's a fact. Climate change is a reality. And we need to support our indigenous cultures, real American culture, because we don't know any of that. Oh. That if the last year has shown us anything, it's helpful. We actually know. Tammy Brown, fabulous personality. I want to thank you for joining us on the trip today. Let our listeners know a couple spots where they can find you. Uh, Planet Tammy. Planet Tammy. Mm -hmm. PlanetTammy.com with an IE, of course. And then you have my Instagram, Planet Tammy. Then I have a TikTok. And um, you can also, um, I'm not certified or verified yet on my TikTok, which I don't understand what's going on. Testing. <laughs> um, and then uh, you website, um, Instagram, uh, YouTube channel. The Browns is coming out very soon this November, so stay tuned with that. Um, and thank you so much. Well, thank you. It's thank a true pleasure to speak with you. And you can see I'm, I'm smiling so much, the back of my head hurts. So. Oh, and the dress was Franklin J. And she, she constructs, she's a, a, a designer, and she constructs from bed sheets, vintage bed sheets, and creates these really cool novice pieces. John wants it. <laughs> John likes it. Yeah, I, I was, it took me a second. Oh, my God, it's Elliot. It's E.T. I have a new piece on its way, Trolls, little treasure trolls, because I just love trolls. Those damn Thomas Dams you're looking Thomas Dam. I just love those vintage trolls. I have a huge collection. And Greta Garbo, she used to put the trolls under her sofa in her Manhattan apartment. Seriously? Mm -hmm. All right, Tammy, thank you again The Focus Group is at Comic-Con New York City coming to you from SPI Marketing's Queer and Ally Lounge. Sitting next to me is the one and only and very glamorous Iwa Hamasake. Yes, that's correct. 
I am here. I'm super duper excited. Hello, y'all. It's a pleasure to see you. You look beautiful. Welcome to Comic Con. Um, first question for you, and this is just for our audience, for those who may not know you, and we're hoping it's a very big minor or small minority. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Cool. My name is Yuwa Masaki. I'm a fierce, or as I like to think, a fierce drag performer here living in New York City. And are you performing shows now? Come here, Josie. Uh, virtually and in person. We're slowly getting out of the pandemic, so we're slowly getting out there. Yeah. But most of the country is still in lockdown. I mean, we're very lucky here in New York City that we get to do this. So have you been able to perform <laughs> for your audiences via Zoom, etc.? And And has that been satisfactory? It's not the same, but I think it's better than nothing, right? I think us as performers, especially drag performers, we feed off of the audience energy and what they give us. So if it's not live, it's not the same, but I think we do what we can do during these times. So how long have you been doing what you're doing? What, what am I doing? What are you doing? Well, you're, 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 you're drag. Okay. Um, and uh, how long have you been doing it and how did you get started? So I started when I was 15, 16-ish, and I've been doing it, I want to say, a decade and a half. I got started because there were not many LGBTQ groups out there or youth groups out there back in the day. Not back in the day, but like 10, 15 years ago. And I think we've gotten better. But I started doing it because there was no support group for me that the only way to be around people that were similar to me we're at the clubs, so I dressed up in drag, I went to the bars, I went to the clubs, I saw people that were similar to me, they talked the way that I did, and I felt free, so that's why I started doing drag. And it was also another way for me to gain back those years that I didn't get to have fun, because as a child, I was always very feeling like I had to be very low profile, because I knew that if I were to be myself, I was going to be seen as the gay kid, and I didn't want that. So I think drag really helped save me, but also helped me gain back all those years that I didn't get to have fun. So performance yes. and, and, and drag, which I think is fantastic, is your career now. Mm -hmm. Was it always your career, or did you start in a different area and kind of move into this with a passion when you discovered it? I think it all kind of tied in one way or another. I knew that when I was younger, I wanted to become a teacher. I mean, I'm still kind of teaching, but just with a, with a wig on. You know, I'm still motivating people. I'm still educating people. I'm still trying to make the world just a little bit better for people out there that are younger than me. And I liked all the things that are colorful. I liked costumes. I liked makeup. So I was able to put all of that together. I knew that I wanted to be like Britney Spears when I was younger. I saw her music videos, I saw her concerts, I wanted to be like her, but I just didn't know that drag was a possibility, so that I think it all tied in together beautifully. I'm sorry, I'm having a flashback to a drag video. Oh. Oops, I did it again. When the, you know, I went down and got... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. I, I have a very visual mind yeah. like that. So, um, tell us about something that you'd like to tackle that you haven't done. It, maybe it could be a stage you want to perform in, or maybe it's a different character you want to portray. I want to be in movies. I want to be in films more. Really? I think drag artists, I think we're more than just performing at a bar or a club. Sorry about it. I think we're better than that. You know, I think it's fun. It's great. But I think we are... Do you think your energy would work uh, the same way on a set with a director and camera in a script as opposed to the your kind of the energy you get from a crowd where you can... Someone says something, you react, or your show changes subtly. Is, you know what I'm getting at? Like, yes, yes, with directions and, yeah. and um, what do you call it? And 
Hit your mark. Yeah. Here's your line. I think I should be fine because, you know, I'm familiar with video work. I'm familiar with cameras and stuff like that. So I think it'll be fine. It'll be new. I think it'll be a new market for people to see drag in film and TV more. But I think... But now here's here's one for you. Um, Do you think you'll have to dial back your performance? Of course, yes. So you know what I'm talking about because you are bigger than life doing what you do. And, And for the screen and for motion pictures, often it's the smaller, the quiet performance that yeah. captures us, yeah. right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, if, I think if the straights can be on TV, why not the gays? We deserve the same rights, right? Now, are you from New York City? I am originally from China, but I moved here when I was seven. So I think I consider myself a New York native, whatever you want to call it. So your family moved here? Yes. You moved here from China. So were you encouraged as a, as a young kid to be creative and to be who you are or was this a struggle for you yes and no i think my parents were very encouraging in what i wanted to do in the straight world if that makes sense so like they were very encouraging if i want to become a doctor or a lawyer or a businessman whatever you want to do in the straight world we encourage you so this is like very very new to them and different and also the word i'm looking for is how do I put this nicely? Unsupportive <laughs> in the beginning. Have they seen you perform? Not yet, but they've seen photos. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I would think it would be a, I would think, um, you know, I often wonder about a lot of, a lot of drag performers, how, how it would be, you know, a lot of times you hear stories about either the family was very supportive or not. You don't hear kind of middle of the road stuff. And I was just wondered how, how it was for you. I think at this point, they just want me to be happy, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're better with it now. Right. Yeah. I think they're more encouraging in the way that they don't want to lose me because I feel like um, when you don't have supportive family, you kind of build your own family. And I think that they don't want me to build my own family and disconnect from them. I think that that way they're more supportive in that way. They don't want to lose me then. You so know? That, that could be a win-win. Your your family and your adopted family. exactly, and that, I think that's so so great that you said that because for for so many decades, um, many of us in the LGBTQ community have had to build families. Yeah, um, even some of us who have family support, you still need another thing. Yeah. Now, uh, okay, this is a question that Tim's been asking, and uh, I got This is the question. Tell us something about how'd you put it, Tim? Tell us. No, tell, wait, what you ask. <laughs> Tell us something about yourself that's not in your bio that nobody knows that you've revealed in interviews that we'd be surprised about. I'm a natural teal color hair woman. <laughs> no. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. What is one thing that I've never revealed before? That we'd be surprised about. People would be surprised to know about you. I'm actually an introvert. That is, that is actually not... I, you know, I'm surprised because it's such an extroverted perform, you know, field you're in, but... So when you're not on stage, you like to be quiet? Yeah, like this drains me. I'm sorry, but like, no offense, but like all this like stuff drains oh, me. Oh, like, you're performing. You're performing. Yeah, like yeah. Exactly what you're talking about. when I go home, I need to recharge. I don't talk to nobody for a few days. Um, I don't know if you are familiar with how introverts are, like when they're out socializing, well, yeah, it takes all the energy. All energy. Yeah, like. 10%. Now you got to, well, I hope you haven't drained your bed. Oh, not yet, outside. not yet, not yet. But after today, I'm going to go home. I'm going to lay on my bed for a few days, and read. I'm going to recharge, read, TV, don't talk to nobody, and then in a few days, I'm ready to do it again. You know? Fantastic. That's All interesting. Right. Yeah. Um, 
focus group here coming to you from Comic-Con, Jan Ash with Tim Bennett. We've been talking to Yuhua Hamasaki. You got it. Oh, thank yes. the maker. It's only been say. 14 years, John. You've gotten one, one right. I know. <laughs> He never gets never names get right. 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 I, I want to thank you for joining us here on the Focus Group. We're going to come back to you from Comic-Con after this quick break. All right. Thank you all. The Focus Group is at Comic-Con New York City, coming to you from SPI Marketing's Queer and Ally Lounge. Thank you to SPI Marketing for having Tim and I and the Focus Group join them in their Queer and Ally Lounge here at Comic-Con New York City. Coming up next is an interview that I did with uh, artist and writer for Archie Comics, Dan Parent. Give you a little bit of background here. Dan is an American comic book artist and writer, best known for his work for Archie Comics. He's illustrated Love Showdown, Felix the Cat, Barbie, Disney Adventures, and with Fernando Ruiz, created the comic series Die Kitty Die, which we do talk about. Parent is credited with giving Archie Comics a relevance with contemporary artwork and innovative storylines that would not have been seen in years past. In fact, in uh, Veronica number 202, which is an Archie comic, uh, Kevin Keller was introduced, and he is the first openly gay character in the Archies. Uh, he was written and drawn by Dan Parent. Dan also visualized Dominique Jackson in a poster uh, in the Archie style. She's doing a runway show. And uh, with that, I want to welcome Dan to the show. So, Dan Parent, welcome to the Focus Group. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And it's a pleasure to have you. And uh, our whole thing is an intersection of career and identity. Mm-hmm. So, one of the first things I want to ask you is, uh, how did you get the bug for comics and for writing? Well, um, you know, I grew up as a comic book fan, you know. From a very early age, I think five years old, I was reading comics. Was, of course, back then I was reading Harvey Comics, Casper, Richie Rich, all of them, and Archie. I think I might have had a crush on Cadbury. That's <laughs> you know the butler. Oh yes, I remember Cadbury, <laughs> okay. of course. That's right. And uh, so that's where I started, and went into Archie at the same time, and got into to superhero comics later. But really, from the earliest age, I remember reading comics. So did the did some so you you named all the comics that I actually paid attention to mm-hmm. as a kid and mm-hmm. I was not necessarily drawn to the super uh, the superhero genre per se, right. but Richie Witch, Ka- Richard is Casper the Friendly Ghost, like I somehow related more to those characters. So did that kind of direct you into Archie more? Uh, a little bit because Archie was also one of the first. I think Harvey was first Harvey Comics and then Archie, and just because I think it's the the, the 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 illustrations are more simply drawn, they draw in like a younger eye maybe. Where it was a little maybe when I was eight or nine, ten years old is when I got into more superhero stuff. But always, never left the Archie comics or the Harvey comics. I always was a, stayed a fan of them. All right. So, um, what would you say uh, as a as an influence in growing up, a mentor or someone who encouraged you to pursue this? Did you have a particular individual who has actually, you know, Dan, this is something you got to pursue or you got to do? Well, actually, um, you know, I, I, in high school, I took all the art classes. That was my big thing. I was the class artist and all that. But um, when I got out of school, I, I, my, a couple of my friends went to the Joe Hubert School, which is a cartooning school. Mm-hmm. I didn't go because I thought, well, you know, I, I should be more practical so I went to, to college to be an English teacher. And um, I, I just um, was not... Wait, wait, wait. That's almost an accidental career. You went to college to be an English teacher, right? Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, I like this. And it was not... The, it was just... I was miserable. 
I went and I was like, I was excelling in my art classes at the school at college, but it was just kind of like getting through the other classes. And then I talked to my mom about it. My mom was like, you know, you should go to um, the Cuber school. You should go get into, you really love this. So my mom was really the one that pushed me to do it because she could see I was just sort of like, it wasn't like, you know, I was not miserable, but I just was sort of like not that energized by what I was doing. I was doing the practical route, mm -hmm. which is not, artists are not practical. Um, so she, she pushed, you were putting the bread on the table route. That's the route you're exactly. doing. Roof over the head, bread and, on the table. And my mama said to, she's like, you know, she's like, well, just, you know, try it. You're young. You, you go for it because you know, yeah, you know how if it you, is. If you fall down, yeah, you get up plenty of time. So, uh, I, I, I went to the Joe Hubert school and, um, never looked back. Never looked back. Let me ask you a, a personal question. Mm -hmm. Um, were you always a good draftsman? Um, and what I mean by that, when I use the word draftsman, probably I want to describe that for our listeners. I, I just mean you had a knack for drawing. Well, yes and no. I was, I had, I had an artistic flair, but um, I wasn't, it, I wasn't naturally like a fantastic artist. I did have, there was a part, a part that I had to learn. Um, and when I went to the Cuber School, I was sort of like in the middle of the road when I started. I was decent. Um, but there was many artists way better than I was. So I just sort of learned to, um, you know, a lot of it was about like learning how to like design and sort of composition, like composition, framing, framing. I think I was, I was good at that too. Or, or, or I became good at that. Um, but, but I, I wasn't like, there are some artists who are just like born fantastic. And those are the ones you want to kill because it, it's, it's so unfair. Well, but there are people who just born, they just like draw, like they, they don't need to go to art school. Um, I was not one of them. I learned that I went to school for computer animation, character animation, mm -hmm. I like computer. And and I did that because I thought maybe I didn't need to know how to draw if right. I was on a computer. Nothing could be further from the truth. You did know. You did have it, to know how to draw. Helps, it helps. And same thing <laughs> Even for a thumbnail. Yeah. When I went to school, it was before computer uh, technology. So we had to do everything by hand. Like, for pitographs. For pitographs, yep. paste-ups and mechanicals and all that. Then I, I graduated from school in 87. And then, of course, everything went digital shortly thereafter. So I had to go back to school at night just to, to learn the software. To learn Photoshop and stuff. Yeah. So, but, it, but it really helped knowing how to do it manually because it was much easier to go digital without having to use paste, use rubber cement. and rubber waxing. Yes, the waxer. waxing and, and ruby liths. If, I've never, if I never see another ruby lith again, I'll be fine. had to have a sharp exacto for a ruby yes, lith. Yes, exactly. All right, so when you went into uh, comics, and you've actually been, your, your career, I mean, you've been aligned with Archie for quite a long time. 35 years. Um, so my thing is, uh, when you entered, like, did, it, was it a space that you would think was welcoming not only to you um, professionally, but to the storylines that were to come out later, like for LGBTQ characters? Uh, no, uh, they weren't uh, um, open to it at all at first. Well, it, it, what had happened was the reason I was able to, to recreate Kevin is because we had new management at the company after many years. And what had happened was the first 25 years I was at Archie, um, it was Archie, just to go back a little bit, Archie's run by two families. I mean, they're still a, a privately owned company. There's, I didn't know that. There's no corporation okay. that owns Archie. They're one of the last family-owned companies. So it's two companies that run it. Um, the two owners um, died in 2007, 2008, around there. So the, the new family members took over, particularly John Goldwater, who was the you know, brother of the other owner, also like 25 years younger, which helps. And Generational. It, it, okay. Definitely generational. Right, interesting. So when he came on, came on board, he was like... Um, 
what's happening here? Why, why is the Riverdale like um, so non-diverse? And I was like, well, I've been saying that for like about a decade now, but no one listened to me. Um, I mean, it was, it was to the point where before that, like, like in, 19, in the nineties, I think I had a story where Archie was, or where I wanted to do a story where Betty was dating Chuck, who was our African-American character. And even then they were like, um, they were frowning on it because their, their words were, well, we're not against it, but some people might not like it, which is a horrible, horrible, um, that shows that's a horrible excuse for not doing no, it. No, but you know, you just said something that I find fascinating. When you when someone says to you, "Why isn't Riverdale more diverse?" You're it's almost like you're talking about a real place. Yeah, and and do these so within the confines of this world, mm -hmm. these are real people to you. Absolutely, and absolutely. it's a real place, real characters. Oh, absolutely, and they represent. Uh, they're supposed to represent a the idyllic small town. And it's not an ideal place if it's there's no diversity going on. So we really took care of it. We introduced a lot of different characters um, of different uh, ethnicities. But um, and then when I had said to John Goldwater, well, "Can we have a gay character?" Um, he was like, "You know, I thought about it, and I couldn't think of one reason to not have a gay character. So we have to have a gay character." Introducing Kevin to mm -hmm. the Archie universe mm -hmm. was was I think it was Veronica uh, number twenty two or uh, it was Veronica two hundred two two hundred two groundbreaking. Was there pushback? Not from the company at all. There was there was there, there was some pushback, um, in in uh, yeah, on, the, on the internet, of course, the trolls as we call them. Well, I was wondering if it's if it's a, a devoted reader or someone who loves the world of Riverdale, mm -hmm. or is it someone who's kind of observing this and oh, how dare they do this? Well, it's interesting because ninety five percent of the Archie fans were totally on board. They loved the idea of it. They it's were a big percentage, it, and I knew they would be. I, I, you know, I, I've been out there with the fans many years and I know our audience. Um, but there was that, that small core, you know, the, the Christian fundamentalists, whatever you want to call them, uh, who were, who were not, who were not happy about it. Um, they were really not happy when we did adult Kevin a few years later in another book where he got married. Um, as in gay married. Yes, yes, gay married. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. he, didn't, he, didn't marry, he, didn't, he didn't marry a woman. Um, and that that caused the you know the one million moms came out in droves. And by the um, way, the one million moms I think is two women at, right. a, at a table and somewhere over the formica floor. Right. You know, <laughs> right? Yeah, we found that out. It was great because they they are their protests caused the book to sell out because the book actually wasn't selling that great. Like it was it was selling okay. And then what happened was it, the book was in Toys R Us. And the woman was so outraged. Major retailer Toys R Us, right? Right, Toys okay. R Us. And the, the woman saw the Kevin cover um, where they're holding hands on the cover. And um, she was outraged that the youth of America would be like destroyed by seeing that image of two men holding hands on a cover. So she started her campaign. And oh, then the book sold out. She, so they, sold, they helped us sell the book. So we have always hoped for one million moms to protest every book we put out because they'll sell, every book will sell out. You have to almost design your covers to trigger right, the one million right, moms, right? right? Exactly, exactly. Um, um, and then the other pushback was we had a few. Um, I won't name them all, but like there was even a couple Archie, uh, longtime Archie artists who were very conservative. Who um, the artists were? Yeah, a couple of artists and writers for us uh, actually quit. Now this this surprises me a great deal, and I'll I'll just tell you mm -hmm. by way of saying this is when I moved to New York as an art director, a graphic mm -hmm. designer, mm -hmm. and gay, you would say to somebody, um, what you know, they if they knew you were gay, like, what do you do? Oh, I'm an art director. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, of course you are, right? <laughs> or you're a photographer, you're an illustrator. But I would always find that there was a lot of inclusion or inclusivity in the thinking of mm -hmm. like-minded artists and stuff. Mm -hmm. So this is a surprise that an illustrator would actually say, for, and for the most part, again. We're talking 
80% of the Archie or 90% of the Archie artists and writers were totally on board with this. But there was a couple, a long time, long time artists. And, and, and Archie's, again, we're more institutional. We're, we're, we're more, more, of a, more conservative generally, I would say, than most companies. So Like there, highlights. Highlights, <laughs> yeah. I've worked for highlights too, actually. Goofus and Galant are my favorites, I, yes, by the way. Yes, yeah. I did one of the, I did the ones where you like hide the things are hidden in the page. Um, it was a really challenging job, um, <laughs> but um, but yeah. So there was there was a, some 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 pushback from a, a couple longtime artists and writers who were like, you know, we're against this. Uh, we don't want to work for you. If and so our basically editors were like, all right, goodbye. Like <laughs> they didn't. You they know. really didn't mind. No. That is fascinating. Yeah. All right. Total disconnect mm -hmm. from what we we're just talking about. What do you do artistically for your personal side? Or do you even bother? Do you, maybe you garden, maybe you, you know, your woodwork or something. Is it different? Is your passion different? <laughs> I have different? no skills, but um, uh, no, I just, um, well, one thing I did a few years ago was, as you listed in, the, in my intro, like, I did a book called Die Kitty Die with my friend Fernando. You call it like a graphic novel, right? It's a graphic novel. Okay. It's, um, we, we did it as a Kickstarter and we, um, Basically, we did like four issues that would be put into like a, a graphic novel. So, so we did that because that was that was sort of it's sort of like if you if you look at it, it's it's sort of like a a more like a little more adult, a little more way out Archie sort of style. So it's more of a, that project was more of a way for you to leave Riverdale. Kind, yes, exactly, and, and, and tell a story and and be a different person and maybe even a different artist on some level. Was there a different executional style as well? The style is still in the Archie style. It's just a little bit more um, revved up a little bit. It's just a little more adult, a little more detailed. Um, but it's in the Archie vein. If you like, if you see it on, if you saw it in a, in, a, in a bookshelf in a comic shop, you'd know it was me. But it's still different enough from the Archie stuff. And then so so that I've done four Kickstarters of Die Kitty Die um, since then. That, so that that sort of like feeds the the other side. I mean, I guess you know I could also like I should do something different artistically like paint or something but i just am so in, entwined in comic books i just keep doing comics and your work um is as a work process you're probably on cintiq and digital now or do you still go back and do um actual ink on board everything's ink on board you still do ink Absolutely. on board really yes everything's drawn by hand i have to of course scan it into the computer and color and photoshop ink yeah. like, like i ink my ink's kind of sloppy so i'll i'll scan it and clean it up in Photoshop and color it. But there's an original piece to every page that I do, which also is, you know, marketing wise, it's good. And, you know, financial wise, it's good for me because I do a lot of conventions and I can sell the original artwork. You can't sell digital art. Well, so, you can. I think that's what these oh, NFT things right, are these right. days. But yeah. I, I don't understand. I'm not any sure of how, that. Yeah, I don't get that either. So <laughs> um, I just, um, yeah, I definitely sell my original art. So that, that gives me my income at shows. Um, so, but yeah, so I, I, you know, do the best of both worlds. I think that's great. I think it's really great that you're still doing the actual physical, tangible drawing, yeah. scan and ink. It's a perfect use of both, I think. I, I feel like we're, we're hitting both territories there. So, um, yeah, it's it's that's that's been good. And, uh, you know, I still like, do, like, you know, then Illustrator, I still, like, do, like, my designs, yeah, my, yeah. my font, my um, logos and things like that. And, Adobe's um, got us all. Yeah, yeah, they got we're their hand to, in yeah, my pocket. Yeah, they, they, they own us. <laughs> that they creative do. cloud is sucking the money they, out every they, day. They do. They do. So um, back to the world of Archie for a second, or the industry in general, how do you see inclusion expanding or moving forward? Well, I mean, we've seen a lot of strides made in the last 10 years, you know, um, and I, you know, how, how I can't see it 
I can't see us going backward because the world is not going backward. I mean, we have to keep moving forward. Can't just get rid of Kevin. No, he exists. No, no. and the the important thing with Kevin was that we wanted to make sure when we introduced Kevin that, you know, it didn't come off as like a stunt. Mm -hmm. There was a few things that were going on at the time where like they would introduce a gay character in like another company and they would, you know, then, then they were like kind of forgotten about. Or with a different timeline or like some weird, yeah, yeah. Has, yeah some other realm. Mm-hmm. So, so this was just, you know, we wanted to introduce Kevin in a really authentic way with the mindset that Kevin is here to stay. Um, and of course the audience decides that, uh, um, very much when, so when yeah. Veronica 202 came out, it was our first book that ever sold out. So that's a good sign. <laughs> in fact, and, and thank relief. you million moms. Yes. Thank you. I mean, they weren't even around for that one, but, uh, I'm sure it's they true. were, they were in the sideline somewhere, but so, um, what have you not tackled in your career that you want to tackle? It, oh, it could be a passion project. It could be something at uh, in Archie land, but that you haven't gotten to that you really want to do. I mean, I always, I do love superhero stuff. And um, like one thing I got to do that was a lot of fun. I did a, a series a couple of year, years ago, Archie meets Batman 66. So I got to do the Batman characters with Archie. And that was actually really draw them. I guess the whole, I, okay. I get to draw the, 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 the retro Batman characters from the 60s, which is really cool. Oh, 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 um, Batman 66. Yeah. Just so, yeah, okay. That's a different look. That reminds me. Yeah. yeah, it's like, the, it's the Adam West, the, <laughs> yeah, corny, exactly. the corny Batman. Yeah. But, um, so that was a, 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 a dream. And then we do a lot of crossovers. We just, we did like a Betty and Veronica meet Vampirella. So Perfect. It's like, you know, we do, we, and we've done like, you know, we just, did, we did the B-52s. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just heard about this, by the way, mm-hmm. being a huge fan, mm-hmm. huge fan. Yeah. I'm like, how did I not know this? Yeah, and yeah. I guess you had Fred Schneider show up in the. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, the, well, I I was talking to Fred Schneider on Facebook, you know, just like you know, commenting on something, and then I had messaged him, and I said, you know, it'd be really cool if we could do like a team up. Because Archie has done a lot of team ups with different artists. We've done like Blondie and Kiss and all the other bands. So he was like, <laughs> Kiss, I'd like to see that. Yeah. Okay, oh, that was like I think that was our first uh, rock band crossover. That was like a. Um, there's so many Kiss fans. I I didn't know that there was that many Huge. Kiss. Fans. It's crazy. Um. <laughs> But he just gave me the name of his manager, and he was uh, the B-52's manager, and he goes, um, just give this give this to Archie. So I did. And then like a week later, we had the project going. It was like the easiest thing in the world. Um, th- by the way, for anybody listening, it doesn't always work that way. No, no. <laughs> Nothing it's, happens no, in a week. That, no. Not like that. Not but, with- but sometimes the weirdest crossovers happen when you don't expect them, like too, because the, um, that's how the Blondie one happened, too. I was talking to Chris Dine. A blondie on Facebook, and I said, said the same thing. It'd be cool to do a crossover. Here's my manager's number, and I gave it to Archie, and then that <laughs> happened. Wow! So, All right. And then there's the ones you want to happen, and then, they they, don't. and then there's like you know, like a the dead silence. You don't hear anything from. Or them. layers and layers of get back. All right. Or then there's the ones who are like, you know, I need, I need the original art, and I need to make this x, x amount of dollars. You know, and it's like, well, this is a comic book. You know, you're not going to be making hundreds of thousands of dollars and royalties comics, on this. Yeah. So. All right, um, we're going to wrap up in a second here, but a couple little questions. What advice would you give to your younger self um, about being, or how to be an aspiring artist? Or would you go back and give any advice? Is there something that you would say, oh boy, if I could go back 25, 30 years, here's exactly what I'd say. Um, you know, there's not that, I, I pretty much everything has gone on course the way I would like it to and the way it has i would have just skipped that year of college <laughs> that i wasted <laughs> when were you going to be an english <laughs> right, professor right right, yeah. right i would you really you know, having a boring life right now um, not that english teachers are boring my son's a teacher so i, I you know he's it's a very honorable profession um just not for me <laughs> um and i have taught before i did teach at Kubert school too so oh you did mm-hmm. yeah how did you find that actually um it was fun 
because uh, I think teaching is an art form that is really undervalued, and your experience as a student is completely different as a teacher having to come up with curriculum, goalposts, mm -hmm. where you want to take a student from here to here. So that was a probably a very interesting. Well, the good thing about teaching at the Cuber School is, since I went to the school too, is that the students see you as a working professional, so they know that you, you know. That you went through the whole grind of going to school, and then you, you know, made a living out of it. So, and even like yesterday here at the at the at the show, um, uh, I think it was all the Cuber School students were here yesterday. They get to like come here for free um, as part of their their deal. Cool. Okay. So, um, um, so they were there coming to our tables and seeing us set up, and you know, seeing that we are making a living doing this, which is you know, you need that encouragement because mm -hmm. it's it's a scary thing, and it's. Even more, it's even scarier than you know. Thirty years ago, when I was going to school, because um, you know, it's the comic market has shrunk. Yeah, it has. Yeah, and publishing in general has isn't yeah. what it used to be. So it's encouraging for them to see that they can you know make a living doing this. And uh, my co-host Tim, who was here yesterday, he's not here today. He likes to ask the following: Tell us something about yourself or something that no one else knows. Jeez. <laughs> um. Well, I can't say that one. <laughs> That's usually the first answer out of anybody's mouth. Is I like, can't say that. Going to have a checklist of things here. Um, I, I just, I'm really boring. Like, um, I'm a lousy cook. Um, really bad. Like, just, um, yeah. There's nothing. I mean, just I just watch lots of like lots and lots of TV, and that's not even interesting. Um, yeah, I'm just. Um, I could go. With, I could. I, I could, like to clean. Oh, I do too. I like to like. Um, uh, let's talk about Swiffer. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just again, I just, um, I, I, I just find myself. I'm, I'm, I'm working 15 hours a day or 14 yeah. hours a day. So I guess you know, um, in my downtime, I just, uh, yeah, I just like to do nothing and, and watch and not cook and not and cook watch and watch lots of TV. <laughs> TV. But, and I have the TV on all the time when I'm working because it's like my radio sort of. So. I do that with um, original Star Trek. Mm. It's I know them all so well that they're like back here and yeah. I don't really have to pay attention because I know exactly what's going to happen. Right. right. So that's yeah. hey, Dan, I want to thank you for joining us. Um, I've been speaking to Dan Parent, who is an artist whose work you really need to check out. Uh, he's most known right now for Archie and the gay character that was introduced called Kevin Keller in Veronica 202. Please also check out his work with uh, Fernando Ruiz. It was a. Um, what did you call it? It was a GoFundMe. It was a, a Kickstarter. Kickstarter. Uh -huh. And that would be Die Kitty Die. Mm -hmm. And it's the focus group. We're coming to you from Comic Con's uh, SPI Marketing's Queer and Ally Lounge. And again, Dan, thank you for joining oh, us thank today. Thank you so much. All right. We're going to wrap things up here. Uh, it's been the focus group with Tim Bennett and John Nash coming to you from Comic Con, New York City, courtesy of the SPI Marketing's Queer and Ally Lounge. Hey, we are going to wrap up the show here. And normally, Tim would hop on the mic and have some choice words about his experience at Comic-Con, but he has departed for Philadelphia. I dropped him off at the Moynihan train station, which is the new train station. It's crossing the old one. But if he were here, he would join me in thanking Scott Sides from SPI Marketing for our participation in the Queer and Ally Lounge at uh, Comic-Con New York City. As I mentioned at the top of the broadcast, it was a virginal moment for me. Nice to know at my age, I could have a couple of virginal moments. <laughs> so without further ado, I want to thank our guests, Isaac Goodhart, Dan Perrin, Jackie Cox, Tammy Brown, and Yuwa Hamasake. Those last three always put a big smile on my face. Those drag queens are fantastic. They're great performers, wonderful entertainers, and just really cool people. 
And of course, Isaac and Dan are fantastic too. So thanks for joining us on this special broadcast from Comic-Con New York City. And uh, we will see you in the new week. It's The Focus Group with Tim Bennett and John Nash. Subscribe, like, and rate us on your platform of choice. Learn more at focusgroupradio.com. That was a stunning focus group.